right, well, good to see you guys all again. Good to be back. Um, as always, we're going to transition into our time in the Bible. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will make sure to get one to you. So raise your hand if you need a Bible and we will get that to you. All right, and who can guess where we are going to turn tonight? Just yell it out. What was that? Okay, try again. Where are we turning? Okay, all right. I know you guys are loud. Trust me. So I was like, okay, make sure we're good here. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Leo. I heard that was there. All right, so turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 4 here tonight, okay? Um, And so if you need some help finding Colossians, don't be afraid to ask a neighbor, ask a leader. We want to make sure that you get to the right spot, okay? So tonight we are going to uh, wrap up our study on the book of Colossians, okay? So we're going to be looking at chapter 4 here, wrapping up our series on Colossians. So, uh, as you turn there, okay, once you're there, give me a thumbs up so I know where we're at. Okay, okay, cool. All right, thumbs up. Okay, go, go. Cool. All right. So, before we dive in here, let's provide a little bit of context, okay? So, over the last two studies that we've had together, I know we had a week off for Thanksgiving, but over the last two studies, Paul has been addressing how our character should look, right? So we talked about the new self, the old self, okay? And then Seth kind of described a little bit more about that a few weeks ago. And then last week, or two weeks ago, uh, we talked about what our interactions should look like between our family and with those in the workplace. So again, we looked at how those relationships um, should look in light of, of what Paul has been writing about. So tonight, we're gonna talk Uh, about what it looks like to share our faith and also what it looks like to pray. Um, And we're going to talk about uh, both of those topics here tonight and really continuing on this theme of honoring God in and through all things. Okay, So like we've kind of begun to establish here uh, this fall, what I want to do is I want to give you um, two minutes, um, just some time to read through the passage, begin to jot down a couple notes and thoughts, okay? So I'm going to give you two minutes to read through it, okay? Let's all focus in, try not to distract those around you. Uh, Let's lean into what God is trying to help communicate with us tonight. And then after those two minutes, we'll come back and work together through this, okay? All right, so Colossians chapter 4.
I know that was a little bit of a longer passage, so it wasn't, hopefully it felt like wow, that went really fast. But again, I just want to give you a little time to just read through it and kind of begin to grasp and process here a little bit. So before we start to work through this together, okay, since you guys are becoming really astute Bible scholars here, uh, what are some observations? What are some things that you see in here that you notice, things maybe that have connected to prior weeks? Let's just see what we're seeing, okay? Yeah, okay, so we see a list of what we should devote ourselves to. Really good. Yeah. Okay. Season with salt. How many of you guys like salt? Okay, how many of you prefer pepper? Okay, all right, I won't be insulted. Okay. Okay, thanks, thanks. Thanks, Ben. All right, so good. We're talking about, we're going to talk about salt tonight, okay? Who would have thought that we'd be at church talking about salt? All right, good. Yeah, Jason? Right, yeah, so further instructions means, okay, let me give you some more instructions, what we've already talked about, and then it's going to add some kind of greetings here at the end, which I think is pretty neat, and we'll touch on that here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, walk in wisdom. That's really good, really good, important phrase. Daniel? Okay, being watchful with Thanksgiving. Whoa, didn't we just, like, celebrate that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. Anything else? Other observations? Again, just we're not trying to understand yet what's happening. We want to just, what are some things that we notice that could be important to helping us understand? Yeah? Yeah. There are a lot of names in here, and let me guess, you probably heard of all of these, right? No, I don't think you've ever met someone in school named Archippus or something, all right? So some of these are some pretty unique names, and don't worry, I'm not going to quiz you on spelling later, okay? All right, good. So let's kind of dive into this here together, all right? So I have some questions I want to work through uh, this passage with you, okay? So let's start in verses 2 and 3. How does Paul describe what our prayer lives should look like? So one of the first words he says is prayer, and he gives some instructions So based off of just verse 2 and 3, let's just start there. Verse 2 and 3, how does Paul describe what our prayer lives should look like? Daniel? Truthful. Okay, Lachlan. Watchful and thankful. Good. Open to God. Pray often. Good, good. Okay, pray for others and yourself. Yeah? Okay, okay, good. Anything else? Okay, good, yeah, so there's a lot of things, yeah? Steadfastly, again, probably a word you might not use often in your daily lives as a student, okay? So he gives a couple descriptions of what our prayer lives should look like. And so if you want to develop a better prayer life, if you're not really comfortable praying, get ready, we're going to give you some really good tips to do so, okay? One of those phrases, steadfastly, Paul says, continue steadfastly, right in verse 2. What does that mean? Be devoted to, attentive to, to persevere, to be ready, to be waiting constantly. So there's this theme of being devoted, attentive, being ready, waiting, constant. There's this anticipation that comes with prayer. 
And so as we think about some of those descriptions, I'm already thinking to myself, does that describe my prayer life? Am I devoted to prayer? Am I attentive to prayer? Am I always ready to pray, to spend time in prayer? How would you describe your prayer life? It's something to be thinking about. Okay, so he talks about continuing steadfastly in prayer, to persevere, to keep going, okay? He also mentions Thanksgiving, right? We just had Thanksgiving last week. And so it's easy to view prayer as just going to God about what we want. I mean, how often do we spend time in prayer and we treat God like a vending machine? We go up and say, okay, I want this, boop. Okay, God, uh, here's my list of things I want today. Here's what I want my day to look like. If you could just sign it, put it on my desk, it's going to be fine. We'll touch base later. That's not how prayer is intended to be. And we need to spend time thanking God for the good gifts that he has given us. And I try to make it a practice every time I pray. I'm not perfect. I try to get better at one of the first things I pray for when I pray is to thank God for something. Something so simple. God, thank you for this opportunity to pray. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for the food that we had today. Thank you for White Castle sliders, right? We have a lot of good things to be thankful for. And so it's a good habit to spend time thanking God for the good, good gifts. And then Paul also says, uh, in verse 3, he says, at the same time, pray also for us. And so the us here that he's referring to, he's referring to the other apostles and the leaders. Paul's saying, pray for us, those who are leading, those who are preaching the gospel, those who are going forth and sharing the good news of Jesus. So Paul's saying, would you pray for us as leaders here in the early church? And so again, if you're looking for some opportunities to pray, if you're not sure what always to pray about, Paul gives us a great example here. If you're looking to enhance your prayer life, take time to pray for your pastors. Take time to pray for your church leaders. Pray for your TNT staff. Pray for your neighbors, whoever. But specifically, pray for your church leaders because, spoiler alert, I need prayer too. Our, your leaders all need prayer. And so we want to pray for you, but we love it. I love it when you ask us, how can you pray for us? And so if you're looking again for opportunities to pray, why not pray for your pastors? Pray for your leaders. And from there, he says, God may open to us a door. Uh, so let me read it again. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may also open to us a door for the what? Open a door for the what word? The word, okay? The Bible, in other words, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Paul's praying for open doors to share the gospel, share the message of Christ, what we talked about weeks ago, back in Colossians 1 and 2. Paul's saying, pray for us that we may have doors. And so, I'm not sure if you maybe remember this or not, but it's amazing to me that Paul prays for open doors to share the gospel because as Paul is writing this letter, he's in jail. So as Paul is writing this letter to the church, he's in jail. And he's actually in jail because he was sharing his faith. So as he was sharing his faith, he was sharing the good news of Jesus, he was put in jail. He was facing persecution. 
And even though he's in jail for sharing his faith, what does he pray? Pray for us that God may open doors. I mean, he's in jail for sharing the gospel, and he's still asking for prayer that he may have opportunities to share the good news. And even though he's in jail, I don't see any sense of regret from Paul here. He's saying, no, keep praying for us. Keep praying for God to open doors. And so again, those are a few ways that you can incorporate into your prayer life. Pray uh, and ask God um, to, you know, care for your pastors. Pray for your pastors, your TNT leaders. Thank God for the good things. Pray for open doors to share your faith. Pray that God would continue to help you be steadfast in your prayer life. These are all great ways to enhance your prayer life. All right, so let's continue on. Verse 4, what else does Paul ask, pray for, uh, ask prayer for? What else? What else here in verse 4 do you see God, uh, Paul asking prayer for? Lachlan? He says, verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So what is he asking prayer for to make clear? What does he want to be clear? Think about what we just talked about. The gospel. Paul is asking for prayers to, as they share the gospel, that he would do so in a clear way. And guys, that prayer should be true of us too. Are we asking God to make sure that we are clear about who we serve? and the good news of Jesus? Because as you pray for God to open doors to share your faith, God will open doors according to his will, and if he does open those doors, you need to be ready to share your faith. Because if you're saying, God, would you please open some doors for me so I can share my faith, you can't be praying for that, and then when God opened doors, be like, oh, I wasn't ready for this. Be ready for God to work and be ready for God to answer prayer. And so Paul says, when the doors open according to God's will, help us to make the most of the opportunity and share the gospel in a clear way. And as followers of Jesus, we must be clear about where our hope is found. We must be clear about where our salvation is. Because we can't be confusing Christians. We have to be clear Christians. We can't be confusing in our message. We need to be clear and honest about who we serve and what Jesus has done. We can't be confusing. We have to be clear. Why? Because this is how we ought to speak. Paul says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so this is not really a request, it's really a command for us to be clear when we share our faith. And so let me pause for a second. When I say clear, I don't mean hurtful. I'm not saying that we need to like rub our faith in people's faces. I'm not saying we should be intentionally hurtful or vindictive, but we must be clear about our message and not be confusing. People around us need to know who we serve and why 
we serve him and what Jesus has done for us. So when God opens doors, you need to be ready to share that message in a clear way. And so let's continue on. Verse 5, what two commands does Paul write? So in verse 5, he's got two commands here that he's writing. What are the two commands? What do you see here in verse 5? Bronwyn? Yeah, 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 good. So one, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, or you might have live wisely. Okay, so walk in wisdom. And then the second one is make the best use of time. In other words, take advantage of every opportunity you have. And so what Paul is saying here is that as you share the gospel with those who need it, do so wisely taking advantage of every opportunity that God provides. So if you pray for God to open doors, for you to share your faith, you need to walk through those doors, you need to make that message clear, and then take advantage of the opportunity. And so let me give you an example. If you're talking with a friend at lunch, and you mention, hey, it's it's Thursday, I'm going to TNT tonight, and you're like, oh, like, do you go to church? Yeah, that's a clear way to say that. Yes, you're going tonight, which I'm glad you are here, right? If they ask you, well, what do you believe? I'd say that's an open door. If they're asking you, well, what do you believe? I think that is like a big wide open door with like light shining down on it that God's like, uh, here you go, <laughs> All right? So take advantage of those opportunities. And so take a minute to think about how many students are in your school. Think about how many students are in your neighborhood. Think about how many students are in your community that need hope. Think about those who are in your lives that are in desperate need of hope and hope that only Christ can provide. And when you think about how many need Jesus, What are you going to do about that? What's your response to that? Because the reality is, I was once a teenager that didn't know Jesus. And somebody took this message to heart to share their faith with me. I had friends, well, they weren't really friends at the time, but there were people in my life who said, you know what, I'm going to pray for open doors, pray for opportunities. And when they did, they shared the gospel with me and they were clear about it. They took advantage of the opportunity because I was once a teenager that didn't know Jesus. And there are a lot of our friends that need Jesus too and they don't have hope. And so what do we do do about that? All right, so continuing on. As we share the gospel, how should we do that according to verse 6? Okay, so as Paul's talking about sharing our faith, being clear, praying for open doors, right? He talks about what we should pray for, pray for open doors, We are to walk in wisdom, making the best use of time. According to verse 6, how should we share the gospel? What does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. Be full of grace. Or maybe you might have always be gracious. Okay. Well, this word gracious here means loving kindness, reflecting Jesus. It means that which brings joy, pleasure, delight. 
sweetness, always being gracious. And the Bible specifically says always be gracious. And just, just so we're all on the same page, always here means at all times. At all times. Meaning, there should never be a time where Christians should be intentionally unkind and hurtful. Paul's saying, always be gracious. And so, that doesn't mean that we, we don't stand up for truth according to God's word, but we must do so with grace and kindness, delight. Always be gracious. So as you're talking with friends that maybe don't know Jesus, and you share your faith, and they say, you are a weirdo. You know what you say? Okay, maybe you're right. But that's okay. Just be gracious. Continue to pray for God to open doors. Because God is the one that changes lives. We don't. All right, so we talked about being seasoned with salt. So what in the world does it mean to be seasoned with salt? What does that phrase mean? Any thoughts or ideas? Seasoned with salt, okay? Okay, so it brings out some flavor. What is this, you pouring salt on something? Okay, so it brings out some flavor, Okay, good. Season with salt. What else? Okay, makes it more pleasant. Some of you guys are like, salt, 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 salt. Just like pour the whole thing open and just drink some water, okay? Yeah, Julio? Yeah, yeah, it like brings some of the flavor out, right? Yeah, you ever eat something that's like way too salty and you're like, yo, right? Okay, so there's got to be a balance. Yeah. Salt on mashed potatoes? Hey, I, you know what, I'm not, you know what, I'm going to, I know, always be gracious. That's all I know, okay? All right, so seasoned with salt. What does the world, does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean we need to be salty towards people, right? Don't walk away and be like, well, Pastor Nick said we're supposed to be salty, so, okay, that's not what I mean, right? I know you're going to make fun of me later. I just owned it, okay? That doesn't mean we're salty towards people, all right? But listen to what this means. I'm going to put it on the screen. In Paul's time, salt served primarily as a preservative, and it kept meat from spoiling. And as we mentioned, salt also changes the flavor of what it's added to here. So, the believer's words are to preserve the message of Jesus, helping it effectively reach as many as possible. And so beyond that, what a Christian should also add value to the conversation. Our words should be uplifting and helpful. And so the truth of a renewed Christian, we ought to be clear and add flavor to how we speak and what we act. So in other words, here's my Twitter version. The way we talk should be attractive, productive, different, adding flavor, while also preserving what is good and God-honoring. So as you interact with those at your school, your friends, your family, whoever, we are called to be seasoned with salt. How we talk should be uplifting. It should be different. It should add value. 
how we speak should add value to conversations. And not only should it add value, it should preserve what is good. And good means God-honoring. So as you think about the words that you use on a daily basis, think about, you know what, was that adding value to conversation? Was that encouraging people? Was that uplifting people? Was I preserving what is good? Was I keeping what was God honoring? Because words matter. You ever hear the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, right? That, that I think, is just so not true. Because words really hurt. And so, therefore, we need to be very intentional about what words we use, the tone in which we use it. Because we need to be careful to encourage those around us. Because the reality is, if you claim to follow Jesus, and people hear how you talk, and would never expect how you talk to connect to Jesus, then that's an issue. So let me give you an example. I really love to grill. How many of you guys like grilled foods? Anybody? Okay, how about grilled steak? Anybody? Grilled steak? With some green stuff on it? Okay. Uh, pork chops? Anybody? Okay, uh, let's see. Grilled chicken? Okay, all right. Uh, salmon? Grilled salmon? Ooh, okay. Oh, I'm impressed. Okay, all right. So, one thing about me is I really like to grill. I'm basically a grill amateur, okay? And I really like to grill. And every time I get a really good steak, one of the first things I do is I add salt to it. Not tons and tons, but I add salt to it because salt brings out the good flavor of the meat. Salt brings out the good flavors. It brings out the goodness of delicious meat. Okay, now I'm getting really hungry. I should probably go from then. Okay, so the good here that what I'm talking about is the good comes from God. Because good might be defined in different ways to different people, but when I say that our conversation should preserve what is good, what I mean is that good is God-honoring. It brings glory to God. God honoring. And so when those who don't follow Jesus, and really anybody, when those who don't follow Jesus interact with us, they may not agree with what we believe, but ideally there should be no doubt on their part that being around us is pleasant and good. If we're claiming that we are a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come, and yet people in your lives don't really find you very helpful or encouraging, then what is that going to tell them about Jesus? Because those around us may not believe in the Bible, but there should be no doubt that, you know what, I don't know what, but just being around them is encouraging. I just feel different. They act differently. They talk differently. People should know that you're different. If you're claiming to follow Jesus, then guess what? You are going to be different. And we have to be okay with that. And here's something to think about. What would people say about you? Are you pleasant? Do you add value to conversation? Would they even know that you follow Jesus? And I love how 2 Corinthians 2 says that we are the aroma of Christ. People should know that we're different. 
And so why should our speech be gracious and seasoned with salt? Well, verse 6 goes on to say, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Because the reality is we should be ready to engage in conversation with others about what we believe. Now, does that mean we're supposed to know everything and be perfect? No. But does that mean we shouldn't study? We need to be ready to share our faith. And that's why we take so much time to study the Bible, because we want you to know God's Word, because it can change your life. And so from there, uh, after verse 7 here, Paul begins to kind of conclude and wrap up this letter. And he actually mentions a number of individuals, and we don't have time to go through them all today. But one of them, specifically, he mentions is Epaphras, okay? And so the next question I have for you, in verse 12, Paul writes that Epaphras is struggling on your behalf in prayers. So my question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to struggle on your behalf in prayer? What does it mean to struggle on your behalf to pray? Violent? Yeah, right, to pray for you? Good, good, good. What else? If I'm struggling in prayer on your behalf, what does that, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, prayer, it often can be hard work and it requires discipline. And so, this picture here is amazing. Because Epaphras is praying so hard that he's exerting physical, emotional, and mental energy. As he's praying for those in the church, he's like laying it all out in prayer. He's praying with his, like, everything in his being, he's praying for them. He's struggling. He's fighting for them in prayer. And we see this example in the life of Jesus. Look at what Luke 22 says. And being in agony, referring to Jesus, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And we see Jesus here praying with everything out on the line. And so the question I have for you to think about is, when is the last time that you prayed like this? When is the last time that you prayed in a way that you felt like you were struggling on someone else's behalf, that you were praying with your whole might and focus and self. Because I heard someone say once, pray as if your prayer is going to be the one that God uses to change the world. Pray as if your prayer is going to be the one that God uses to change the world. I mean, how differently would our world and lives look like if we prayed every prayer believing that maybe that was the prayer that God was going to use to change someone's life, to change our community, to do a mighty work in our world. Because when we pray, we don't just pray like, okay, here we go. Like, no, we need to focus and pray and say, God, I want to come before you and I want to be attentive and focused and steadfast. And so then look at how Paul concludes this letter in verse 18. 
He says, remember my chains. Paul says, remember my chains. Let me read verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. And this phrase here, take, take a second and think about it. Remember my chains. As Paul is writing this letter, he's in chains in prison for his faith. There is so much emotion and sorrow and strength in this simple phrase. I mean, think about the chains clanking together as he's writing these words. Think about him sitting probably on a cold, hard, the cold hard ground in a cell, who knows where, deep in a tunnel underground. Think about the nature in which he's writing this letter. He's shackled, and he doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive. He's on trial with potential death. And he's saying, remember my chains. Because Paul is in prison, and he doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive. And so Paul doesn't write this to get empathy or sympathy even from the Colossians. He's not saying, hey, I'm super, super spiritual because I'm in prison for my faith. But Paul, rather, is reminding them to pray for him and to act as an example that it's not always easy to follow Jesus. Because the reality is, following Jesus is not always going to be easy. I'm not saying it might put you in jail someday, like Paul, but following Jesus is not easy. And so what are some takeaways from this? Let's, let's look at a couple application points here. Number one, if you're taking notes, definitely write these down. Number one, prayer is essential to the life of a Christian. Prayer is essential to the life of a Christian. Because as followers of Jesus, it's not a question of if we should pray. Prayer is non-negotiable. Prayer is non-negotiable. That's why Paul says continue steadfastly. We are to be devoted in prayer, to be committed in prayer. And you know what? If you're struggling with your prayer life, if you, when you take time to pray, if you're like, I don't really know what to pray for, Paul here gives us some examples, and let me share them with you. When you pray, pray for watchful eyes. Meaning, as you pray, don't pray as if you're falling asleep. Like, if you want to really go before God in prayer, and you curl up in your bed, and you put on all your fuzzy blankets, and you're all snuggled in, you're like, I'm just going to go ahead and pray. And then and five seconds later, you're like, like, Sometimes I'm so tired, I have to literally stand up and pray because I'm like, if I sit down, I'm going to fall asleep. But you know what? I want to continue steadfastly in prayer, and I'm going to take it seriously. And so pray for watchful eyes. Pray for a thankful heart. Take time to thank God. If you've not thanked God for anything today, take time to do so tonight. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for open doors to share your faith. Pray for clarity as you share your faith. These are all different ways to pray. And so if you're looking for opportunities to pray, hopefully some of these will give you a place to start. Number two, be a God-honoring witness wherever you are. Wherever you're at, be a God-honoring witness. Because as you engage with the world, walk in wisdom. 
If you're claiming to follow Jesus, speak like it. If you're claiming to follow Jesus, act like it. Live like it. Live and act and speak like you're different. Because let me, let me be crystal clear with you here. If you're claiming to follow Jesus and people can't tell that you're different from everybody else, that's a problem. Let me say that again. If you are claiming to follow Jesus and people can't tell that you're different from everybody else, that's a problem. Because 95% commitment to Christ is still 5% short. 95% commitment to Christ is still 5% short. Are you giving your all to Jesus? Or are you just kind of getting by? Is your approach to your relationship with Jesus, fake it till you make it? We are called to make the most of every opportunity. So when you do, share your faith. When you have the opportunity to show love and grace, do it. When you have the opportunity to share your faith clearly, share it. And then as you do so, be gracious, be pleasant. And then number three, last one, remain faithful to what God has called you to do. Remain faithful to what God has called you to do. Verses 10 through 17 provide a list of individuals who Paul mentions are faithfully carrying out the ministry that God has called them to. And so here's something to think about. Is faithful a word that people would use to describe you? Is faithful a word that people would use to describe you, especially when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? Do people look at your life and think, wow, they really love God. They are committed to God. Or do they see your life and go, I don't know if I buy it. It seems kind of fake. Because remember, there's a cost of following Jesus. And it's not always going to be easy. But it will be worth it. And I love what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And friends, if you're here tonight and you're trying to do life your own way, in the spirit of Paul's writing here, let me be clear. If you're trying to do life your own way, it will leave you feeling frustrated and empty. If you're trying to do life on your own, according to your own ways, it's going to leave you feeling frustrated and empty and anxious. But if you make the decision to follow Jesus, it'll be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Because Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And friends, there are a lot of people out there right now, many of whom are in your school, your neighborhood, your community. There are a lot of people who are placing their hope and things that won't satisfy. But we are called to share this message of hope. Because as followers of Jesus, we're not better than them, we're forgiven. And we need to share that message with those who need it. So as we close, here's the truth I want to leave you with. Sharing our faith requires prayer, clear communication, wisdom, and readiness. If you desire to share your faith, you need to be praying, 
You need to be clear in how you communicate. You need to be asking God for wisdom. And you need to be ready to share your faith. Because if you pray for God to open doors, don't be surprised if open doors come. Don't be like, this is new information. You got to be ready to share your faith. And the question is, are you ready to share your faith? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you so much for who you are and your goodness. Thank you so much for this time this semester in studying the book of Colossians. I pray that your word would change the hearts and lives of each and every student here tonight. I pray that as we head to small group that we would have open minds and open hearts and seek to change our lives to become more like Christ and that we would share our faith in ways and live our lives in ways that people know that we are different. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can head to small groups and uh, we'll